Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair and thank you for listening. The program you're listening to was organized by the Islamic Association of Collin County in Plano, Texas. Enjoy. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Nahmaduhu wa nasalli ala rasulihi al-kareem and ma'abai. I'd like to welcome you all to IACC's um, mental health program. Uh, it's a little bit of a workshop. Um, with us today we have Mufti Wasim uh, and Sheikh Arsalan. And we'll also have two s- sisters who are professionals in this field and have graduated and are licensed at this to speak after both of them speak. So first I'd just like to ask uh, Mufti Wasim to say a few words about I think this week has been a difficult week for every single person. Uh, from the imams, the scholars, were shocked about something like this happening in the community, to the community itself, so close to home, to the families, to people just across the globe. This isn't something that we normally hear happens. However, struggles and sadness and difficulties are part and parcel of life. In the Quran, the word happiness, perpetual happiness, sa'ada, only comes one time. Farh is happiness, but not perpetual happiness, continuous happiness. But sa'ada, perpetual happiness, only comes once. فَأَمَّا سُعِيدُ or the فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ سُعِيدُ فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ سُعِيدُ right? what's, what's the ayah? فَفِي الْجَنَّةِ right? so ready for tarawih فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ سُعِيدُ فَفِي الْجَنَّةِ those who are going to have perpetual happiness they're in Jannah everywhere else Allah says وَلَنُحِيَنَّهُ حَيَاةً طَيِّبًا we will give you a tayyib life. Tayyib means pure, content. But it doesn't mean that you will have perpetual happiness. Because the question that comes to mind is that what is the purpose of life? Is it happiness? And in the absence of happiness, is life not worth living? That's a question that comes to mind. So why do we have sadness? Why do we have grief? Why do we have pain? If Allah is so merciful and beneficent, why is there so much war and there's so much sickness and death and why are these things existent? This is a question that commonly gets asked. Am I right or wrong? So why? What's the purpose behind it? Why did Allah allow these things to happen? Mutanabbi, who was a poet, and he was such an excellent poet that Tanabbu, Mutanabba means to claim prophethood. Once in his life, he actually claimed to be a Nabi. That's how good of a poet he was. Later on, he did tawbah from it, but Mutanabbi was an excellent poet. And his poem, in his poem he says, وَبِهِمْ عَرَفْنَا فَضَلَهُ فَبِضِدِّهَا تَتَبَيَّنِ الْأَشْيَاءُ He says, we understood who our, Sayf al was the king of that time, and he was known to praise Sayf al And they say if he praised Allah instead of Sayf al-Dawla or Rasulullah sallallahu his name would have been recorded amongst the awliya. But he spent a life praising his king, Sayf al-Dawla. And people in the back in the days used to suck up to their kings so that they would get some money or they would be held you know, in prestige or they would have that clout. So he says about the king, he says, 
because of how great Saifuddaullah, uh, because of Saifuddaullah's contemporaries and the other kings, when we saw them, and then we saw Saifuddaullah, we realized that Saifuddaullah, our king, was something completely unique. We only understood how special he was when we saw other kings. Had we never seen another king, we would not know how special he was. And then he says, وَبِهِمْ عَرَفْنَا فَضْلَهُ فَبِضِدِّهَا تَتَبَيِّنِ الْأَشْيَاءُ That when you have opposites, then you understand clarity on what you have. Had Allah never created sadness, and pain, and death, and, and hurt, and, and, and heartbreak, we would never understand what it meant to be happy. We would be happy, but we would never understand what happiness was. You cannot understand heat if there was never cold. You cannot understand light if there was never darkness. You cannot understand youth if there was never old age. It would be non-existent. We would not be able to logically comprehend it. So Allah created these things so that we are able to appreciate these things. And وَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ سُعِيدُوا فَفِي الْجَنَّةِ Perpetual happiness only exists in one place and that is Jannah. This world was never made for perpetual happiness. And sadness and difficulties are part and parcel of this life. There's no person that existed on this planet more beloved to Allah than Rasulullah لَوْلَا أَنْتَ مَا خَلَقْتُ الْأَفْلَاقِ Had it not been for Nabi Alayhi Allah would not have created the entire cosmos and what we existed. لَوْلَا أَنْتَ مَا خَلَقْتُ الْأَفْلَاقِ He's born and either his father passes away before he's born or right in his infancy. He sees his mother pass away at a very tender age. Four or five years old. His grandfather passes away when he's around ten. Abu Talib and Khadija radiallahu anha, according to a narration in Rahiqul Maktoum, one opinion is that they passed away three days apart, same week. The Prophet buried not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, six of his children passed away in his life. We lose one love of our life where we have one heartbreak and all of a sudden we feel that our life is coming to an end. Nabi salam, six children of his, meaning that only one of his child survived. And Allah told the Prophet about what was to happen to Hussain. And the Prophet gives some premonitions, knowing that, okay, six children you buried, and the one daughter you have, she will also pass away soon. The final, in the final days of Rasulullah's life, what happens? He whispers something in Fatima radiallahu anha's ear, she begins crying. And then he whispers something else, she begins smiling. Aisha radiallahu anha asks, what was this? She said, this is a secret between me and my father. Later on she says, my father told me that my time has come, my daughter, it's time for me to go. And it broke her into tears and she began crying. And then he said, no, no father can see the tears of their, son, of their children, but the daughter is just a daughter, she's special to every father. I don't know, I don't have daughters, but Sheikh, you have daughters? Yes. Yeah, so you know. So Sheikh has affirmed this. So those who have sisters, just know they're special to dad. And then he says, he can't see the tears, he says, listen, you'll be the first to meet me. And six months after the Prophet ﷺ passes away, she passes away. And Allah is telling that even your grandchildren, the little Hassan and Hussein, they will be orphaned at a young age. The grandfather was an orphan, the children also became orphans. 
The grandchildren also became orphans. And Allah is telling him that, okay, their bodies, Hussein radiallahu body, will be cut into pieces. هذا حسين مزمل بالدماء مقطع الأعضاء مؤثر بالصحراء Zainab, the granddaughter Hussein radiallahu anhu she witnessed the whole scene of Karbala and she says wa Muhammada, wa Muhammada, oh Muhammad this is your Hussein today in the battlefield of Karbala مزمل بالدماء today he's wearing a shirt it's made out of his own blood his body is chopped into pieces. He is completely covered in the desert. This is Nabi Alayhi's own life and his own family. If this dunya was worth anything, Allah would not have tested Nabi Alayhi. So every person is tested. And every person goes through downs. And every person has sadness. And we have to get help. We have to speak. We have to open up. Whether it's to a friend, whether it's to a parent whether it's to your teachers, whether it's to getting uh, uh, help through therapists and counselors. But everyone needs to open up. And while that is integral, فَاعْتَصِمُوا بِحَبْلِ اللَّهِ جَمِيعًا Hold on to Allah's rope. Because that rope, it will shake you, but it won't let go of you. As my mother says all the time, Allah ke paas deir hai, andir nahi hai. There is delay by Allah, but there isn't darkness. There isn't, it's not that Allah will leave you unread. Or Allah will leave your call unanswered. He will answer it. That's not when you want Allah to answer it. But He will answer. And what does He say? That the one who is close to me, I'll give you a content life. And we've seen people who don't have much, but they're happy. And we've also seen people who have everything in the world, but the only thing they don't have is happiness. They say, there's some people in the world, they're so poor, they're so poor, that the only thing they have is money. And there's some people in the world that are so rich, that the only thing they don't have is money. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give everyone's hearts happiness and connect it to His Sublime self. And may Allah make this Ramadan a blessed Ramadan. The best Ramadan of our lives. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala strengthen our connections with Him. Jazakallah khairan for those words, Mufti Wasim. Um, just quickly, if you have any questions that you would like. Mufti Yusim, Sheikh Rasulan, or the therapist to answer later. Um, the link is tinyurl.com slash iccquestions123, iccquestions123. So if you send those, we'll get them answered, inshallah. Um, next, I'd like to ask Sheikh Rasulan to say a few. So are, are they able to ask questions anonymously at that link? Okay, so he's saying yes. So... Uh, if you'd like to ask questions, please go to that link. I know some people might be watching on Facebook or YouTube, and you might be asking your questions in the comment section. I don't think they're going to come through us. Uh, so I would suggest just use the link that Talha just gave to ask any questions, and they will be posed to us anonymously. 
Okay, so once again, the link is tinyurl.com slash IACC questions, one word, one, two, three. IACC questions, one, two, three. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa mawala. For those who might be watching online and joining late, um, Mufti Wasim just finished speaking. Uh, I'll say a few words. Um, if Imam Azhar arrives, he'll also uh, say a few words. Otherwise, we're going to have our uh, mental health experts joining the discussion. Um, they're supposed to arrive here at 7 o'clock, so they're on their way, inshallah. Uh, so once they're here, they'll also uh, share some very important words from their own expertise. And then we'll have, inshallah, a lot of time at the end for questions and answers. Uh, so please feel free to, to pose questions, and then we will get to them uh, in due time, inshallah ta'ala. Um, I actually want to pick up where Mufti Wasim ended. Uh, one of the last things that he was saying was the importance of getting help. But I just want to add something to that. It's important to get help people. One of the problems that we have, especially among young people, and not just among young people, it's also prevalent among the older generation, but particularly the millennial generation, is that we have become very used to just going online and finding the answers, or talking to Alexa or Siri or whatever and getting the answers, because it's become so easy. Anything you want to find out, rather than calling a friend or asking your parent or, or whatever, um, you just go online and Google it and find the answer. And, and this, um, this culture has gone to such an extent that even when it comes to some very personal advice, some personal struggles that we're going through in life, we just basically go online and talk to people who are our online friends or maybe people that we follow, right? YouTube personalities or social media personalities. Um, and, and we just kind of get advice from them. Or we talk to our friends, friends who are just as mature as we are, if not less. And we take advice from them as though it's coming from a very wise, experienced person. And that's a problem. You know why it's a problem? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Ask the experts if you don't know. Ask those who have knowledge, the experts, if you don't know. Don't just ask anybody. If we just ask anybody, we are putting ourselves in a vulnerable situation where the advice may be wrong and it will harm us. The famous incident that happened at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, related by Sayyidina Jabir that a group of companions were traveling away from Medina and the Prophet ﷺ was not with them. And one of the companions, he got injured on the journey. He injured his head severely and uh, the wound was, was bleeding. And to make matters even more difficult, he had a wet dream that night. 
So he wakes up in a, in, in, a, in a state of janaba. He needs to perform salah. And in order to perform salah, he needs to perform ghusl. But he's worried about his wound. So what does he do? He asks the people that are with him. Right? So there's a lot of people, probably, in, in the caravan or in the group. But he just asks the people that are close to him. Right? His clique. He asks those people. And the people that are with him, they give him some advice. So he asks them, look, this is a situation. It's kind of embarrassing. I don't want to tell everybody that I'm in a state of janaba. I had a wet dream. But this is a situation. You see this wound on my head. What should I do? Can I make tayammum? And they said, no, we have plenty of water with us. You can't just make tayammum. You're supposed to make tayammum when you don't have water. We have water with us. So you have to make ghusl. That's the advice he got. That's the advice he took. He performed ghusl. It infected his wound. And he died. He died. When they got back to Medina, the Prophet ﷺ was informed about this. And he became so angry. He said something that we don't find the Prophet ﷺ ever saying in any other incident. He was so angry. And one of the things that he said was, they killed him. They killed him, Salaamu Alaikum. They killed him. Nobody took out a dagger and killed that man. How did they kill him? By giving him advice that was wrong. He talked to the wrong people, got the wrong advice, acted on it, and it cost him his life. And the Prophet ﷺ said, shouldn't they have asked, i.e. more people who are more knowledgeable, if they didn't know? And then he said, it would have been sufficient for the person to just wrap a bandage around his, his uh, wound and wash the rest of his body and wipe over the bandage and perform tayammum. That would have been sufficient. The point is that if we don't ask the right people for help, then we're putting ourselves in danger. So yes, we have our friends that are there for moral support and for, for a good time. But look, when it comes to seeking help, we have to get help from the right people. Who are the right people? People who are experts. People who are experienced. People who are wise. They can be your parents. They can be your teachers, your scholars, they can be health professionals, right? They can be all of the above, and they should be all of the above. So those of you who are watching, I want you to write down something. And those of you here also, take a note of it. Take out your phones and write this down. You guys ready? Write this down. I want you to save this in your phone somewhere. One eight three three S A K E E N A. One eight three three S A K E E N A. Okay, next line. Mufti M W K at Plano Masjid dot org. Next line. 
imam at plenomasjid.org. I-M-A-M at plenomasjid.org. And lastly, resident.scholar at plenomasjid.org. These are contacts that you, have, you should have saved in your phone. The first contact, 1833-SAKINA, is for our mental health experts, our team of mental health experts. And I believe both the sisters are on it. Okay? So inshallah, they'll be speaking to you in just a few minutes. And if you haven't listened to them before, this will be your opportunity, inshallah. Everything is 100% confidential. You don't want parents, your parents to know, they will not know that you even placed the call. Okay? The second address is, of course, for our dear Mufti right here, Mufti Wasim. The third one is for Imam Azhar. And the fourth one is for me. Okay? So if you want to turn to an Imam or a scholar, talk to one of us. Whoever one you feel comfortable with. Or all three. If you don't mind, send a message to all three of us, and then one of us will respond to you. But if you feel that, that you have something that you need uh, advice from, from a mental health expert, then reach out to Sakina Services. It's very important, my dear brothers and sisters. We all need help. Asking for help is not something that should embarrass us. And we do ask for help, but oftentimes we don't ask the right people. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for all of us. I don't want to take any more of your time. I'm going to hand it over to our sisters. And once again, for those of you who are joining in late, uh, Talha is going to give out the URL again, where you can ask questions anonymously. So please post your questions on there, and then inshallah we'll get to them in due time. Jazakumullah khair. And those who are commenting on Facebook or YouTube, again, I would request that you use the URL that Talha is giving to ask your questions. Assalamu alaikum. Um, just once again, the, the link is... Uh, it's tinyurl.com slash iccquestions123. It's all one word and it's fully anonymous. So just send your, que send your questions and inshallah we'll get to them. Um, inshallah, I just want to do a quick introduction for Sister Abida and Sister Madiha. Um, Sister Abida Minhas is a licensed professional counselor supervisor. She received a BA in psychology at the University of Houston and has a master's in clinical counseling psychology. She's also worked as an intern in community mental health clinics and she is particularly particularly passionate about promoting mental health for the Muslim community and founded the MAPS network four years ago. She has been working diligently to promote mental health in multicultural communities. Um, sitting next to her sister Madia was born and raised in Dallas, Texas, and she has a bachelor's in psychology from the Texas Women's University and a master's in clinical mental health counseling from the University of North Texas at Dallas. Um, she immediately began her journey to earn a Ph.D. in counselor education, specializing in marriage and family counseling from Texas A&M. Furthermore, Sister Madhya has six years of experience as an educator and school counselor in local private Islamic schools. And she has also worked with survivors of domestic violence through Texas Muslim Women's Foundation. She is a licensed professional counseling intern who uses a blend of Adlerian and person-centered approach in her therapeutic methods. 
Inshallah, let them go ahead and. Assalamualaikum. Uh, thank you for having us on uh, tonight, and uh, Jazakallah, um, Sheikh, for that introduction. Uh, my name is Abada Minhas, and um, as uh, the young brother said, I am one of the co-founders for our MAPS network, which is the local local mental health association. Um, I am so glad. I know we're in a pandemic, and I'm still glad that I know we're being live streamed, from what I understand. But I'm so glad to see a few of you. Um, several of you actually, uh, mashallah, here. Uh, it is very important, especially with the work that Madia and I do, to be able to reach out to the youth in our community. Uh, certainly because, you know, you guys in a lot of ways are the next uh, branch of our ummah. And in a lot of ways, you you know, to me, and I talk, tell Madia this all the time, I learn so much from the adolescents that I work with. Um, you know, not only techie stuff, but um, more than that, I learn about the experiences that you guys are going through that I think neither my generation nor I think Medea yours had gone through. Um, I know a lot of us have had a very tough week. I know my, myself, I live in Allen, and um, I'm sure due to the news that, that all of you went through and saw this week, uh, we've all had in a, in a very profound effect in this community, and a lot of us are still probably hurting aching uh, in some ways also personally relate to some of the, the turmoil uh, that this family went through. And, you know, we want to be able to give that space to you that are here and, of course, those listening, um, you know, virtually to be able to connect and ask questions. And anything that you have that may be troubling you anonymously, please, please, please reach out to us. If there's anything that we can do tonight, if there's anything that myself and Medea can hopefully transcend today, which is that we want to be able to connect with the youth, especially those of, those of you that may be going through um, issues and trouble, uh, as, the, as the, uh, um, the Sheikh mentioned earlier, that, you know, even if it means anonymously, there is help out there. You know, if you were to call one of our networks for MAPS, for example, we want you to be able to have those spaces to be able to connect with somebody. Um, so I want to be able to take about a few minutes and then of course with the I'll go over and let you figure out some of the things that we want to connect with. One of the things that we want to talk about that I know that in this letter that I think has been circulating in the last week, depression. You know, what is depression? Maybe talk about, touch on, and of course mental illness itself. Mental illness and depression of course is a form of mental illness. A lot of times, of course developmentally for a lot of, a lot of human beings, they go through depression in their developmental period. One, your body's changing, your mind's growing, your brain's growing, and there are some instances, depending on how the family structures are, if there's stressors at home, if you've had stressors at school, some of you may experience that. So if there is something going on, whether it's at home or through your family systems or friend systems or within yourself, it is good in a lot of ways if you connect and ask for help. There is nothing wrong with asking for help. I know in our community, especially the one I grew up in for sure in my generation, 
You didn't talk about depression. You know, depression's not a big deal. Oftentimes, people minimize mental health or mental illnesses. But it is real. You know, and for those that suffer for a very, very long time, quietly, unfortunately, it gets worse and worse. Because remember, depression is something that happens in the mind, kind of like heart disease or diabetes or kidney disease. The brain is no different. The brain experiences different sadness, you know, different anxieties, different things in the body that may affect it. Um, so we want to be able to reach out and make sure that there are things that we can do to make sure that if you felt, let's say, sad or upset for more than two weeks, and that's the clinical cutoff for depression, if you've been having the same issues where you're not sleeping well, where you're not eating well, where you're not connecting with your friends like you used to, like you're not coming to the, the massages to be able to visit with the adults that you, that you respect in your communities, something may be going on. And as adults, it's our job to make sure that we help give you the help that you need, inshallah. So I want to start with that, and then inshallah continue to have more and more talks to be able to give you the things I've learned clinically about depression and mental health. But Jazakallah, I want to start there, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Um, my name is Nadia, like Avida said. Um, and um, I have a lot of experience working with you teenagers and youth um, because I've been a school counselor for about six years. And I love working with y'all because y'all are fun. <laughs> y'all keep my life very interesting. Um, and I know that especially this past year has been very difficult on all of us, but especially our youth. Our youth are suffering, right? This pandemic, this quarantine, the stay-at-home orders have caused a lot of us to be stuck at home, not able to get that social interaction that we need, not able to get the help that we need, not able to, you know, have those people in our life that we rely on so much, right? So for the longest time, especially this past year, you guys have kind of been stuck in your isolation, right? Um, maybe you guys got contact through social media and online and maybe you were one of the brave few that decided to venture off and meet each other, social distancing, but, you know, um, but this past year alone has been very, very difficult. Um, and then, you know, again, your generation especially are going through stuff that Abed and I never experienced, right? So, for example, one, I think one of, the bigger, one of the biggest things that you guys go through is, you know, social media and how it's affected your development, right? Um, the use of, you know, um, how social media has affected your self-development, um, your self-confidence, your self-esteem, and your self-worth, right? Um, and then, of course, it doesn't help when our community often doesn't acknowledge mental health and treats it, treats it as if it doesn't exist. So um, I've worked in um, many Islamic schools. And um, in my role, I have to have that tough conversation with parents often. And that is um, brother, sister, I think, you know, based on my professional opinion, that your son or daughter is suffering from depression, right? Um, one of the first things, one of the main things that I get is, oh, they don't have depression. It's because they don't pray enough. It's because they've lost their connection to God, right? Um, and that is, I think, one of the most hardest hurdles for us to get through. Because, you know, like Abida said, depression isn't something that you can see, right? Depression isn't something that you can show and say, hey, this is what I have, right? I'm like a cut on your hand, right? If you get cut, you can say, hey, look, I'm bleeding, I got cut. 
But with depression, it's not something that you see. It's something that you feel, right? What we see is a change in behavior. What we see is a change in your personality, right? So it's hard to explain, right? Another thing that I hear is, oh, why is my kid depressed? What do you have to be depressed about? You have the car that you want. You have the clothes that you want. You, get, you have a roof over your head. You have food on the table. What do you have to be depressed about, right? One thing that we can learn from the incident that happened earlier this week is those children also had everything they could want. They had supportive parents. They had a good house. They had a good childhood. They had the best education, right? Sometimes it's not about materialistic things. Sometimes it's not about the car you drive or the label that you wear. It's deeper than that, right? The third thing I get is the lo kyakenge. <laughs> what will people think if they find out that my child has depression? You know? And I can tell you something at the end of the day. Your child's well-being, your child's mental health, your child is worth more than lo kyakenge. What will people say? Right? And lastly, and this is for the adults, I get a lot of self-blame. Where did we go wrong as parents? What did we do? We tried to give our child the best upbringing. We tried to give our kid everything that they could want. Why is this not good enough? Why does my child have depression? And again, depression is twofold, right? Sometimes you have depression because of a certain event, a trauma, something that has occurred to you that has caused depression. But there is also a biological aspect to depression, right? Sometimes, you know, it's a chemical imbalance in your brain. It could be like you did the best thing you could as a parent, but your child is still depressed, right? So it's not what did I do as a parent, it's what can I do as a parent now, right? What can I do? What, what can I do for my child? What services and support can I provide for my child? Right? Often children, especially teenagers, don't open up to their parents, right? Why? Oh, because my parent doesn't understand me. My mom doesn't get me. My dad doesn't get me. You know, they don't understand the struggle. And you're right, guys, they don't. Right? For you guys to sit here and for me to say, really, that, no, your parents understand what you're going through, I'm not going to say that. You're right. Your parents cannot understand what you're going through like you guys can't understand the struggle that they went through right? Their struggle and their um, obstacles were different than the struggles and obstacles that you guys are going through today. So what do we do with that? Parents, you meet your child with sympathy and empathy. If your child comes to you and opens, has the guts, <laughs> really, because it takes a lot of guts to come out and tell your parent that, hey mom, hey dad, I think I might have depression. I think I need some help. If your child has the guts to do that, your job and your only job as a parent is to be there, to be a listening ear, to be supportive, and then provide the resources that they need. I'm going to pass it back to Alpha. All right. Uh, thank you, Medea. That was really great. Um, do you guys have any questions about any of the things we talked about so far? Or um, I know this is a... Um, 
open space, but we certainly want to be respectful and mindful. Anything else that we can explain again or anything that you guys think that might be applicable? Do you guys agree with what Medea and I have said? Okay, good. Um, you know, I, I'm, what I was saying earlier is very true um, about youth and our youth in our own mind. I'm sure um, as, your, as their teacher and, and Estad um, and Sheikh, mashallah, I'm sure you're seeing that the generation of today is much more um, you know, tech savvy, they understand technological uh, behaviors, they understand the, the language, you know, coding, all the, all the wonderful things that I think the human race is advancing towards. And at the same time, I think in some ways, we're also losing some of the emotional aspects uh, of being humans. I mean, one, the pandemic doesn't help. I mean, we've all been socially isolated. We haven't had a chance to really spend time with our loved ones the way we used to. We haven't had the spaces of going in person to whether it's restaurants or schools or coming to, to our massages. And so I think we all have had the side effect of that, this pandemic for sure. And for you guys, I mean, you're, you're going through part of your life and your, you know, peer, a period in your developmental history where you get to connect with your friends, being able to be a part of the school experience. And so I definitely want to give that piece of um, grace and empathy to the experiences that you guys are having. I know as parents often there's so much else going on for a parent that, you know, their, their plate's full too. So I want to be mindful that parents do have a very tough job too. You know, they have, there's so many things they're going through. There's so many worries and stressors and things that, that are on their plate. Um, and I know at times, especially coming from the cultures that we come from, especially South Asian cultures like ours, we don't give that kind of attention or perhaps even respect to mental health. You know, we don't look at things like burnout or feeling emotionally or, or mentally stressed out as a problem, you know. For a lot of times, even when I see people in my therapy office or, you know, the, the, sometimes some, some of the questions that I get, um, and, you know, I'm sure, Sheikh, you may exp uh, appreciate this too, you know, they might come in and say, um, why do I even need to be in therapy? You know, they may have years of issues and trauma. Um, can I just go and talk to a friend? You know, can I just go talk to my, um, to my local imam or stad or Sheikh? And, but as the Sheikh was saying, that, mashallah, we all have different abilities and capabilities in life and different backgrounds and education. So the training that Medea and I have had is very different than you just talking to a friend. You know, the training that we've had is about understanding how psychology works, how the mind works, how the different parts of our body and, and mind are affected if we are going through things like depression or anxiety or if there's a mental health issue. So, you know, we have to be very, very cautious when we go and talk to somebody. And of course, um, I am so grateful for dialogues like this, you know, whether it's small or large, we want to make sure that, again, the messaging is that we connect with our youth. You know, there are people that are willing to help. But you guys, I mean, for, for those of you who are present today or those that are watching, do know that a small gesture can be a th big thing for somebody. You know, in our religion, mashallah, a smile is considered a small gesture, but it could make somebody's day, it could make somebody's week. That person may have not even been out of the house that you may have smiled at that day. And so, or that week, or that month. So they may have had real human interaction when you smile at them. You know, the serotonin in somebody's brain goes up every time they see a happy face or somebody smiling at them. And, you know, subhanAllah, I think that there in, in our deen and religion, there's a lot of power. At the same time, if 
if the tools that we already have aren't helping, we do need to get professional help. So never be afraid to seek help. You know, if you had a hurt foot or diabetes or heart disease, you know, you wouldn't ignore it. Hopefully, inshallah, you try to go get help, go see a professional or a doctor or, you know, or podiatrist if it's a foot-related issue. So we want to be able to make sure that we have the right people helping you. And I do believe that, mashallah, if, if it starts with your, with your imams or your stads and your sheikhs, inshallah, that we work together as a team to be able to give you all the tools from all sides, inshallah. So certainly, um, you know, in a little bit, we'll definitely open up to any questions. And inshallah, if you guys in the audience have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. But that's uh, another big note that I wanted to make sure that we discuss and, and talk about tonight, inshallah. He's also uh, getting questions online. Oh, yeah. Do you have any online questions? Please. I don't know if he's received any yet. You have any? Uh, we're just going to go over the, some of this, the questions. Um, the first question that was sent in is, what if I want to talk about my kid? What is? What do I want to talk about my kid struggling with depression, but he doesn't want to talk about it with anyone? Like, what if my kid is? So um, I'm guessing that question is from a parent, right? Um, so the question was, what if I want to talk to my kid about depression, but my kid doesn't want to talk, right? So for kids, the best thing is modeling. Monkey see, monkey do, right? <laughs> so if you want to open a dialogue, you start the dialogue. You start by being vulnerable. You start by opening up to your child and talking about any struggles or any you know, maybe any depression or any sort of, um, you know, mental health issues you may have had in the past, right? By doing that, you're opening up a conversation. You are showing your child that it is okay, that even though this subject may be taboo now, it is okay to open up and talk to, um, talk to somebody about it, right? By doing that, you're creating, you know, that gateway for them. Oh, you want to add anything? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, inshallah, to somebody that's asking that question online, is definitely um, make sure that you could see if you can encourage them to do something online, like a depression inventory, and sometimes that helps. I mean, they're not actual professional screenings that people, um, you know, you need obviously a professional to give you an answer, but they do have some screenings you can do online just to see, you know, how high your depression might be. If you're getting numbers that are... And they, a lot of the inventories will tell you how high or low your mood is or something like that. And again, these are not clinical assessments, but they're just screenings that you can have this person do. And sometimes that can create um, an internal dialogue for that person to see that I may need help. So I would say as a parent, maybe stay persistent. Um, you know, I would tell this person maybe stay persistent and also be positive in that encouragement, not to shame this person if they're asking for help. And then the last part would be if they are willing to go and talk to somebody, see if they can go to a trusted adult. If it's not a professional, um, start there. And then maybe a family member they may trust or an adult in their life. And then maybe see if you can keep keeping them encouraging to go see an, a professional as well. So I know it, it is very difficult sometimes when you know somebody may have a problem and they're unwilling to get treatment for it, but you could start with baby steps, you know, giving them tools that they can look at themselves then maybe starting with an adult they trust, you know, just um, like their ustads and sheikhs and teachers. And then, inshallah, maybe eventually if they're willing to go, then I would go professionally as well, inshallah. Uh, 
But I hope the best of luck if this person does need help, inshallah. for the answer. Um, another question that came in was, if your friend talks to you about suicide or depression or anxiety, what should you do as a friend? More of like a friend aspect instead of a parent aspect. Um, so when a friend opens up to you and trusts you about, you know, any um, suicidal ideations, the first thing to do is you know, not to react, but to be that open and, um, you know, empathetic person, right? They're talking to you, they're talking about their struggles. So let them let it out, right? Let them voice what they are expressing. Once, you know, they have, you know, expressed themselves, you can talk to them about getting the help that they need, right? It's very, very important that you, you know, you come from a place of empathy and understanding and not from a place of judgment. Um, it is a very scary thing to go through. It is um, a very, very um, difficult thing to hear. But again, it's about rem remembering to stay calm, remembering to stay empathetic. And then once they have expressed themselves, taking the next steps and talking to them and letting them know that, hey, I care about you and I don't want anything to happen to you. This is why I, we should do this, right? And whether that's telling an adult reporting it, whatever you have to do, telling a teacher, imam, parent, any grown-up that you can trust. It's very important, right? But if they're opening up and trusting you, if they're opening up and speaking about it, that means that they want that help. They want someone to listen. That means they want someone there in their life. Yeah, and um, I think, Medea, that was a wonderful answer, Mashallah. So I think the only thing I would add to that is definitely make sure that you, as Medea said, not be reactive. Um, you know, you ask some good questions. You know, if they've had any self-harm previously, like for some people, unfortunately, that have had thoughts of self-harm, they may start doing behaviors like cutting, unfortunately. So we want to make sure that there is any self-harm that you as a friend try to encourage them to, tell again, tell a friend in their life, an adult they trust, whether it's a teacher or, you know, a mashallah, um, a shaykh in the masjid or ustad or, or an imam that they can go to. But we want to have safe spaces where you trust somebody. You know, of course, the, with the kind of work we do, anything that comes into our office is always confidential. Um, most of it is because we're licensed by, by HIPAA, um, to be able to be um, confidential in the treatment that we provide. You know, just like a doctor, healthcare providers are also um, bound by HIPAA. And so everything that comes into our office is confidential and private. Um, so certainly know that if you have a safe, safe space, even if it's one person, reach out, encourage your friend to reach out. Um, again, just like the smile, you never know the difference you can make for, with somebody with a small gesture. Just like they may not know, that there, there may be some danger to themselves or someone else, you may help them understand that. You might give them that sympathy and empathy that may, they may have not had for a long time. And so being able to give somebody that encouragement is definitely, definitely being a good friend to them, inshallah. If I can just ask a follow-up question to that, because there's a lot of questions that are along the same lines. Um, so a lot of the questions have to do with I know somebody who needs help, 
but they're unwilling to talk to a professional to get help. Uh, and then like this last question was even about somebody who is talking about suicide and they've confided in me, but they don't want to talk to an expert. So my question is that if I know somebody who needs professional help, but they're not willing to get professional help, would you encourage me to contact the professionals to see if the professionals can give me some tips on how to deal with this person who doesn't want to get help? Would you encourage that? Um, thank you. That's a really great answer. Inshallah, I definitely would. I would just because sometimes like a teacher or a family friend or one of the friends in the, the youth com you know, community for each other, um, you are part of the front line that may be able to see that person on a very daily or weekly or monthly basis. And, you know, if you see some information that you don't feel that, you know, I'm not equipped to be able to help, but I can give them the spiritual and, of course, the Islamic guidance and knowledge, but then I want to keep following up and encouraging them to go see a professional, I definitely, definitely support that idea. Um, you know, I believe in collaborative spaces, you know, that we're all here to raise our ummah, our youth, our, our you know, young, powerful voices. And so we want to give them this collaborative, you know, front that we are here to help them collectively. And so, inshallah, I definitely, definitely support that idea of somebody reaching out and saying, listen, I can't help this person, but would you be willing to take them on, inshallah? Yeah, and I think I would just even say further that uh, don't be so overconfident. Like, if your friend is confiding in you, don't be so overconfident to give them this wise advice that you have. You know, be true to yourself. Do you really know what to tell this person? And if you don't, you know, empathize with them and then come back to somebody who is wiser, confide in them, make it confidential, see what they tell you to do, and then go back and give them something that is, that is going to help that person. So it's important that, you know, as, as our deen even teaches us, if I don't know the answer to something, I don't make it up. I say, I don't know. Now, in this case, I may not be able to tell this person, well, I don't know what to say to you. But just say something nice for the moment. Go and find the right answer before you tell them something that might actually be more detrimental to the person. Um, I don't know if Sister Madiha wanted to add something. Yeah, I just wanted to add, um, you know, experience has taught us if a person is willing to talk about it, if a person is willing to open up about it, that at some level they are asking for help. Right. So if a friend is coming to you and saying, hey, I'm suicidal, but I don't want to go see a therapist or, hey, I'm suicidal, but I don't want to tell my mom, that should show you that that person is scared. Right. That person is opening up to you because they don't know what to do because they are scared. Right. They're scared if they open up to their parents, how their parents will react. They're scared if they go to a therapist and tell a therapist, what will the therapist do? Right. So at some level, if a person is opening up to you and trusting you with something this big, that means they are asking for help. And it is your job to, again, respond empathetically, calmly, right? And then after you have built that trust with them, taking it to somebody who can get them the help they need. Angelus. Uh, someone had a question, backtracking a little bit, but how can you tell if a friend of yours has signs of depression, like physical or emotional factors, 
but they don't open up to you about it, so you're not really sure if they're suffering or not. But so what are some of those signs? So a big, a big sign of depression is a change in behavior and affect, right? So if you have a friend that is very, for example, very energetic, right? Very energetic, always bouncing off the walls. But then for some reason, you know, for the past few days or weeks, you've noticed that they're like, in, um, they're internalizing, they've become very much more introverted, they're not opening up, they're not talking, they don't have that energy anymore. That's a sign, right? So whatever their norm is, because you guys will see these friends hopefully more on a daily basis, right? You kind of know what their norm is, right? So any change from the norm is a sign, right? Uh, change in sleep patterns. If you are a person who was getting a good amount of sleep, but all of a sudden you can't sleep. So oversleeping or not sleeping enough, um, appetite, overeating, not eating enough, um, any physical change. Um, so for teenagers, it might be um, piercings, change in hair, right? Now, not, no, I'm not saying that if you've got a haircut, then you're depressed, not saying that. But, you know, <laughs> Sometimes any sort of change in the physical appearance, um, behavior, appetite, sleep, those are all major signs, right? Um, Abila, you want to add anything? Yeah, um, I would say that as this person was wondering, um, it is hard sometimes to tell and not tell the subtle signs. Um, you know, sometimes we might have a bad day and, you know, it's not, it's okay to have a bad day. I mean, we all have bad days. Um, if you're bad day starts looking like a bad week, a bad month, or a bad several months, that might be a red flag, you know. Um, for a lot of youth, like yourself, of course, mashallah, if you've been used to getting like really good grades or pushing yourself in a certain direction or you're doing really well in, you know, basketball or, or a part of some extracurricular activities and all of a sudden you're like, I just don't want to go, um, that to me sometimes is a flag. Now, you know, again, bad day versus a bad week, a bad month might look differently for everybody. Um, the biggest thing that we say in depression that really seems to be, let's say, a powerful signal for a lot of clinicians is something called anhedonia. So anhedonia basically means that you're not enjoying the things you used to enjoy. So, you know, anhedonia could look like, like, you know, I, I don't know, I, I, I love to walk in the morning or, I, you know, I used to be a track record runner, so I'd love to um, you know, walk as much as I can or go for jogs when I can. If, you know, that happens for a week, not that terrible. Two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, you know, and that feeling continues. And I'd rather just stay in my room. Sometimes there's physical signs like you're crying a lot more, you're not sleeping as well. Um, you know, little things are really agitating you, triggering you. I know a lot of times parents don't look at adolescents being triggered or agitated as a sign of depression. But if your child, who's usually like Madhya, you were saying, who's very energetic, very bubbly, smiles all the time, and then all of a sudden, you know, even if you ask them to come down for dinner and they're, you know, yelling and screaming, that could be a bad sign. I mean, for you, uh, for people, um, even internally, when we think about our feelings, am I just a lot more than more irritable than usual? Am I not sleeping as well? Am I not eating as well? Am I just not enjoying things like going out with my friends for basketball, for example, or walks or you know, whatever your, your activities might be that you enjoy. So I think that's a one, you know, big sign of emotional and physical signs that can happen for people who are depressed. Um, and for adolescents, like I said, you're allowed to have a bad week, sometimes even a few days.
But if that pattern continues, that's what we focus on, the anhedonia pattern that continues for weeks and months, then it is time to pay attention. Jazakal, I hope that helps answer that person's question. Sure. Um, another question that came through is, after the tra tragedy that we have gone through in our community, is it possible to ask someone who has anxiety and depression to think maybe we are getting to that point? And what if someone thinks that asking for help may not work? How do we go with that? You know, um, I am glad that somebody brought up that question because, you know, I've been in clinical settings for about 11 years, and I'll tell you, people that are depressed or mentally ill, they don't equal violence. I mean, that is not the norm or trend that we see. I mean, statistically, our research tells us that a mentally ill person doesn't mean that they commit acts of violence. Um, unfortunately, I know from what this young man went through that he may have had clinical depression and without speculating, maybe even something more, but we don't know. I mean, we don't know the circumstances at home. They seem to have come from a very wonderful, warm family that loved each other, that seemed to really connect with each other, but they seem to be in something missing in the gaps that unfortunately we may not know. Um, and and I, part of the reason that we wanted to even have dialogues like this is that we want to make sure that people, like I was talking about, don't end up in those situations for weeks or months or years. That that is the break that we want to have to be able to intervene or help people that may be going through not just a phase of depression, not a week of depression or two weeks of depression or anxiety, but we want to prevent those cycles from turning into months or years. So one of the things that I would say is clinically depressed people statistically don't commit acts of crime, acts of violence. I mean, the statistics that we have in mental literature, mental health literature, is less than 1% of mentally ill people or people with a mental health diagnosis commit acts of violence, which is actually very small. I mean, which means that normal people when they lose, you know, without being diagnosed with a mental illness can just as easily commit acts of violence. So unfortunately, I think for what our community just endured and went through, um, we want to be careful that we don't associate mental illness or mental health with somebody who might trip over. I know a lot of parents are really scared. Um, I know a lot of youth, for you guys, you guys might be very scared that, you know, are these things that could happen to one of ours? Is this something that I could, that I could experience? Could this happen to me? Could my feeling of sadness sometimes turn into something worse? Um, my sense is know yourself. You know, Allah I think encourages us as, as human beings to also self-reflect. You know, when we, when we read the Quran, mashallah, one of the forces we have is to be able to introspect, meaning we have to think about our feelings and think about what we're thinking. And, you know, no, is my depression getting to the point or my anxiety getting to the point where I'm not connecting the way I used to. And inshallah, I think as parents and community members, we want to give you again those spaces to be able to come to us. And I encourage all of you listening today to always seek help. And, you know, the bigger message, which is let's destigmatize mental health or mental illnesses. Jazakallah. Okay, um, another question that came, the, my friends are all talking about me behind my back and I can't stop them and it's making me feel really bad. I'm thinking about this all the time and it's affecting me mentally. How do I get over this? So this is a difficult question. <laughs> It really is, because, you know, the easy answer is to say that, well, them talking about you doesn't change who you are. 
right? That's the surface level, very easy answer to go with. But as you and I all know, that what people say, what people think matters to us, right? It affects us very deeply and affects us very gravely, right? So my answer to that uh, teenagers or person is, you know, really, 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 um, like Abita said, look at yourself internally and remind yourself of what an amazing person you are and all the good qualities that you have, right? Yes, they may talk behind your back. Yes, they may have, you know, all these negative um, comments to make, right? But you yourself cannot be your own worst enemy, right? You yourself have to be your biggest cheerleader. So you have to remind yourself of what an amazing person you are. And whatever they're saying, it's not true, right? After that, if you do, um, if you do have the guts, I would challenge them on it, right? If, they, if you know they're talking behind your back, you can't control them. But what you can do is control yourself. Right? You can't control the actions of those around you, but you can control yourself and your own actions. So if what they are saying is not true, if what they are saying um, is hurting you to that level and it is backbiting, you should confront them and say, hey, I've heard you've been saying these things about me. Let's talk. Let's have a discussion. Let's talk about it. Right? Um, but first and foremost, have a talk with yourself. Have that discussion with yourself. Yeah, and I was going to say, uh, for those of you that are listening, one, we shouldn't backbite our friends. I mean, that's already very toxic. Um, but two, I would encourage those of you that find out, um, and thank you for this person who is vulnerable enough to have such a um, you know, safe space to be able to connect and ask a vulnerable question. And I would encourage this person, he or she, that if you're finding out that your friends are talking behind your back, uh, one, I would say that's probably toxic behaviors by some of the friends that you have, and maybe, inshallah, focus on the friends that you have. You know, I know we live in this big sense of, like, I have to have the most likes, I have to have the most friends, I have to be able to get the most, um, you know, responses positively from, you know, social media or Snapchat or um, Instagram, but I can tell you, psychologically, mentally, quality goes over quantity. So if you have two or three friends that you can connect to and talk to, and share and process your feelings, uh, you've made it. I mean, you've made it. And, you know, I mean, if you have 10 friends that are talking behind your back, that's certainly not what good friends do. And that, that's, you know, toxic by itself. Um, and again, I want to start off with the foundation of that question, which is I have friends that are talking behind my back, which already is not a good sign. So I encourage those of you that are talking behind your friends to knock it off. Because in some ways, um, Psychologically, we'd consider that bullying. It's bullying behavior. And you don't want to encourage that kind of behavior in safe spaces. The kinder thing to do if you have a problem with a friend is talk to them directly, one-on-one, -on -one, kindly, give them feedback, and not negatively. Because you never know how you can impact, impact somebody when you talk negatively of them. I think the better place to, is to be positive and have positive dialogues, inshallah. I'm just going to add on to what Abida said. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but like your importance is not equated to the number of followers you have. 
Like, I know it's like this like big, amazing idea, but honestly, whether you have one follower or a million followers, you still matter and you're still important. The number of likes you get on your photo does not equate to your self-worth, right? At the end of the day, if you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, I like myself, I like who I am, that is all that matters, right? So we want to work, you know, again, it's intrinsically, not extrinsically, right? We want to make sure that we internally are happy with ourselves, that we like who we are, right? Because if you like who you are, if you are comfortable with who you are, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. Anyone could come up to you and say anything, and it will not matter to you because you are good with who you are, right? So please, guys, focus on building your own self-esteem. Look at yourself internally and say, do I like myself? Because I think I'm a pretty cool person, right? So why, why do I care what other people think, right? And if I can just, just say something related to that also. Yeah, it's important who you are to yourself. And of course, more importantly, what's most important is how Allah looks at you, right? So don't worry so much about what people think about you. Think about what Allah knows about you. And uh, it reminds me of what happened with the Prophet ﷺ. You know, his name Muhammad means the praiseworthy right the one who is constantly praised his enemies in Quraysh they had given him a name that they used to call him behind his back they used to call him Muzammam not Muhammad but Muzammam and Muzammam is the opposite of Muhammad right so Muzammam is the one who deserves to be you know uh, disparaged and, and blamed and somebody who deserves to be dispraised, that's Mudhammam. So they used to refer to the Prophet ﷺ as Mudhammam, behind his back. And the Prophet ﷺ, one day, he found out that they're saying all these bad things about him behind his back, and they're calling him Mudhammam. So he came home, and he said to his wife, SubhanAllah, look how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has protected me from people saying bad things about me. Because they keep bad-mouthing Muzammam, some guy Muzammam. I'm not even Muzammam, I'm Muhammad. So you see here, the Prophet self-esteem, he knows he's Muhammad. I'm Muhammad, I'm the praiseworthy one. They're saying all these bad things about somebody else named Muzammam. I'm not Muzammam. So SubhanAllah, you know, when, when I know that I'm doing everything right with Allah, it doesn't matter what people think about me. Wallahu alam. Inshallah, uh, one more question. I feel like Allah is not listening to my calls for help. I make dua for things to happen, and they never do. Everything seems to go wrong for me. What should I do? I'll have the health experts answer this one as well, but let me just say one thing about this. The fact that you are making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly, this is proof that Allah does not hate you. The proof of Allah's hate or love for you 
is not in whether your du'as are answered or not. Even the Prophet's du'as, not all of them were answered. The Prophet ﷺ made du'a to Allah to guide his uncle Abu Talib. Abu Talib died as a non-Muslim. The Prophet ﷺ, after Abu Talib died, he asked Allah to forgive him and enter him into Jannah. Allah said, do not make du'a for that. He prohibited him from even asking for that. What does that mean? That Allah hated the Prophet ﷺ? No. If Allah does not like someone, He prevents that person from making dua to Him. Because as we learn in some traditions, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to Jibreel alayhi salam, when somebody is making dua to Allah that Allah does not love, Allah says to Jibreel, quickly, quickly, get this person off my door, because I don't like listening to him. But when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves someone and that person is at the door of Allah begging, imploring, pleading, that means Allah is keeping him at his door because he loves to hear his voice. If Allah did not love you, he would not have inspired you to be in dua of Allah azawajal. Allah always answers your dua, but his answer doesn't always come in the form that you want it to. Allah will give you something else if not in this world then in the hereafter have no doubt about it if you have fulfilled the prerequisites of dua he will answer your dua the fact that you are making dua is a sign that Allah loves you not a sign that he hates you but please go ahead Hello. Um, I'm not going to claim to be an alim or anything but I'm just going to speak from my personal experience here sorry mom um, all I know is that there is no dua in this world that goes unanswered, right? The fact that you're making dua and it's not going answered, maybe that it is not destined for you at this moment, right? Maybe it is not in your best intention. And I strongly believe that. <laughs> um, I can speak from my personal experience. Um, so I've been diagnosed with depression and anxiety. And yes, I know that I'm a therapist and what, can't you just read your psychology notes and fix yourself? No. Okay, thank you. Tried it. Doesn't work. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I've been diagnosed with um, depression and anxiety and some days it's hard. Some days it is very, very hard. And sometimes when my depression gets the best of me, the only thing that I can do is sit there and cry and raise my hands and ask Allah for guidance. Right, because at the end of the day, there are some things that I feel that nobody can understand about me. But I do know that he's watching me. He understands my struggle. He knows exactly how I feel and what I'm thinking. So some days it just helps to just sit there, cry it out, and pray to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Right? Again, if your dua, if you're praying and praying and praying, and your dua is not being answered, maybe it is not destined for you. Okay, we can see the past and we can see what's in front of us, but we cannot see our future. There have been plenty of times when I was your age in high school, starting college, that I felt that God was not listening to me. Right? Now, <laughs> 20, at 27, I can look back at my past 10 years and say, it's not that God wasn't answering me, it's that God had something much better destined for me. Right?
And I want to add that, you know, sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers your dua by putting certain people in your life. Right? I think that's very important too. Sometimes when we're lost and we don't have guidance and we pray to Allah, it might not be in a dream. It might not just appear in front of you. But I would really, really, really pay attention to the people that you have in your life and the people that are around you. Because I know that that is what has really gotten me through some of my darkest times. Some of which is like this lady right next to me. Like she's a superstar. But really guys, <laughs> pay attention to the people who are around you. You know, what Abida said, quant uh, quality over quantity. Right? That is a lesson that I wish I learned when I was your age. Because when I was your age, I had all the friends in the world. Right? <laughs> I had all the friends. I knew everyone in my high school. I had everyone. Right? But when tough times came, I didn't have any except for a few close friends. Right? Your time is precious. Your mental health is precious. Your resources are precious. So invest in those that will invest back into you. Right? Pay attention to your friends. Pay attention to them. Not only when they're around you, but who they are when you're not there. How they speak of you when you're not there. Right? Like Abida said, if that person is talking, if you say my friend is backbiting about me, there's something wrong. Right? That's not a friend. This person is backbiting about me. Invest your time, energy, and resources in those that will invest their time and energy and resources back to you. Because in your darkest hour, you have maybe your family, some close friends, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So invest your time in that. Thank you, Madhya. That was so vulnerable. Um, okay. Um, I just wanted to end on, thank you, Madhya, and the panel for having us on. And, you know, truly, it's an honor that and privilege that we're here tonight. And I just want to add that for anyone out there that needs help, please, please reach out. We're here. We're here to help you in whatever capacity we can. And inshallah, I wish our community and, and our ummah lots of healing through this tragedy and trauma. Jazakallah. Uh, Jazakallah khair and sisters and uh, Sheikh Arsalan. Um, if your question wasn't answered, you always feel free to reach out to Sakina Services or your Shuyukhari Imam and get those questions answered. Um, Jazakallah khair for all your time. Inshallah, it's Maghrib time. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Once again, Jazakallah Khair for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can listen to more programs by the Islamic Association of Collin County at soundcloud.com slash Plano Masjid or by searching for Plano Masjid on your preferred podcast provider. You can also find other programs and events from IACC by visiting planomasjid.org. Jazakallah Khair. Assalamu alaikum.